Welcome to Dumb Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Fury. Here we talk all things wellness, business, and relationships. Don't get it twisted. There's nothing dumb around here. Playing dumb can actually work to your advantage because it illustrates the power of communication. In each episode, there's something you'll receive that you can apply to help build more success in your life. So talk less, listen more, and play dumb, and let the guests share their wisdom. Enjoy. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Dumb Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Fury. You guys are in for such a treat today, and I know I say that all the time, but let's talk money. We're going to talk creating money, investing money, building money, saving money, and spending money because you have to spend money to make money. And Media Musavi is here with me today, and he is the person who's going to talk to you guys about it today. He was a lender, and he turned and to a realtor. He moved from one side of the industry into the other, and he is the creator of the Downtown LA Insider social media page, which is like, if you wanna find out where to go for Downtown LA, I would say media, you are you are the person. Welcome to Stone Girl Podcast. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Great to have you here. There's a quote by Oprah and it's, um, please be responsible for the energy you bring into the space. And you you own that wow can't say i've ever been in the same sentence as oprah but uh i'm honored <laughs> no you own it like i walked into the room and you know la traffic sucks but and it's i walked in you're just like you're I was just here at the uh, at the booth and, just you know mixing some music yeah but that's Christian. awesome <laughs> that's so great even when i've met you at other events you just always carry your energy in such a positive way thank you I are you always that. on point like that I don't think I'm ever on point. It's funny, but I, I hear that sometimes, but I'm just me. That's what it is. You wake up in the morning, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm right go, in that go, good go. space. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you always been that way? Um, no, actually, I haven't always been that way. I was never even a morning person. I mean, now I get up at 430 or five and right off the bat, it's literally this you see. But towards the end of the day now, I'm kind of like, do I kind of go deflate a little bit? Whereas it used to be the opposite. I was more of a night owl and, you know, mornings I was like, ah, vampire. But now it's it's just what it is. I'm an afternoon person. Afternoon person? Yeah. No, I am an afternoon, afternoon person. <laughs> I, I am on point in the afternoon. Like my hours are probably 12 to 8. Really? Yeah. No, I'm like 5 to 11-ish and then I start kind of... <laughs> 5 to 11, wow. Yeah. What shifted that changed from being... <sighs> I think productivity, uh, maybe having a lot more on my plate, wanting more, doing more. And those hours in the beginning, you know, in the early hours of the morning, it's kind of my time. And it's also the time where nobody's really reaching out to me. There's no emails, texts, there's no social media. Nobody's responding to anything from, you know, 4.30 or 5 a.m. to 7 or 8. So I get a lot more done in those three hours than I do almost the entire rest of the day, especially days I have to be on the field. That's the time where... I have my time, whether it's gym, whether it's journaling, whether it's setting out the uh, schedule for the day, what I need to do, and then the things that, you know, the veggies, the stuff you don't want to do, but you got to kind of get it over with, do that all in the morning. And then it starts my day off on a very good note. Okay, between 4 and 7 in the morning, and you're not making waking your wife up? Uh, no, I'm okay. actually pretty quiet, but if she was awake at that time, trust me, the whole building would be awake. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Because you're setting your the tone of your day between 4 and 7 a.m., mm -hmm. What are you doing during that time? So the first rule is no phone for the first 30 minutes you're awake. So try doing that and see how hard it is. Because we're so fan. used to just, you know, grabbing the phone. And the first thing you do, I mean, if you grab your phone, you're already in a kind of reaction state. You know, it's everything's coming at you and you're reacting rather than, 
being calm, being at peace and kind of getting your day going on the right note. So um, first thing I do is that 30 minutes is basically just doing med. I've been kind of getting into meditation and things like that. I, I know you saw Santiago at, uh, at forum when he was speaking. So I'm trying to do a little bit of that. Uh, and then just kind of going through the day, gratitude, doing the journaling, all of that, been getting into that as well. And then setting the course for, okay, what am I going to get done today? And that's when the phone comes out and the task list comes and, uh, basically set the schedule, go through certain emails and things that are high priority, get that all out of the way. And then, uh, kind of bucket things into what needs to happen, what needs to happen and what I want to happen. So the needs have to go first. So basically schedule that out and then I get going. Okay, so did this start as a realtor or as a lender? And can you go back sure. to when you were a lender or the time before that that yeah, sort of started this? Started as a lender, but more so, I would say the last two years more than anything. I think as responsibilities and tasks and compounded and business grew, uh, there's just more on my plate. And in order to be effective and get all that done, sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day. So it's. Uh, it gets me up. I'm the type of person, if I wake up, whether it be three in the morning, five in the morning, there's no going back to bed for me. The mind just gets going and I take off. So it's a natural clock. I don't set an alarm clock. I just naturally wake up between 4.45 and 5 every day. And it's, you know, you have a lot to do and you have a lot that you want to do, a lot to um, to live for, you know, and business is growing. You just, uh, you're motivated. You just, it gets you up. You were a lender right before being into real oh, estate. Nice. Yeah, I was a lender uh, for four years, and then I switched to the real estate side. It's been almost four years now. Can you speak a little bit on the time that you were a lender? Was that something, like, prior to getting into that side of the business, was that something that you wanted to do, or was something that you went on in your life that you're like, I'm really good at money or working with money? What was it that you started to take that path? Yeah, I actually... I had an affinity towards the lending side, uh, had family members that were in it. They never really let me get started with them. So I went, did life, did the whole college thing, did uh, started my own business, all that. And then found myself in a space four and a half years ago that it was like, okay, I can decide to do anything I want to do now. Um, wasn't working at that time. was going to kind of start off in a new industry. And I said, look, you always wanted to be on the finance and lending side and you got nothing to lose now. So get into it. So went into that. I always loved the financing aspect of it. Real estate part never was really at the forefront for me. It was always the financing side because that's what I had been around. And I got into it. And honestly, I loved it. And that eventually ended up evolving as I moved out to LA. And just as I started to be around more real estate professionals, which is why I went into the uh, agent side. But uh, we could talk about that part a little bit later. I'm sure you're going to ask. <laughs> you're from California. Born and raised in L.A., yes. Okay, and then where were you living before being in L.A.? So, uh, raised around the San Gabriel area, moved out to the Inland Empire, uh, was out there for eight years, eight to nine years, and then moved out to downtown L.A. almost uh, on a whim. <laughs> but I find it to be remarkable because you did tell me <laughs> that you didn't like downtown L.A., and now you do like downtown LA. I mean, look, if you if if you're from LA, you didn't you know what downtown LA was like. It was never it wasn't a metropolitan city. It wasn't like a downtown in a very uh, 
elevated way like a lot of other cities have, right? So downtown was like that sore spot for Los Angeles, you know? When people think LA, they think Beverly Hills and West Hollywood, and then was like, yeah, and then there's downtown, but let's not talk about that. So every time I would go to downtown, it was rough, it was tough, it was dirty, it was a lot of, you know, a lot of negatives, not a lot of positives. And I used to always wonder, how could anybody want to live here? Why would anybody like to live here? And so that's just, that was my, that was my perspective of downtown as a lot of people were. But um, I came down here a couple of times, did a couple of deals when I was living in the Inland Empire. And as I started coming out here, uh, something started calling me. I don't know if it was the hustle, the bustle, the vibrancy of it, but something called me. And I just literally made a decision that I was like, you know what? I'm going to get up and sell the house and move to downtown. And I did. <laughs> Where did you sell your first house? No, it was the house that I was living in. Oh. Yeah. So oh, it wasn't like I was renting out there. So it wasn't yeah. an easy, you know, I just literally got up and said, okay, we're going to sell the house. Sold the house. And a couple months later, I found myself in an apartment in downtown. And I was like, whoa. What That's did I amazing. <laughs> what went on during the lending, during as a lender that you decided to switch to real estate? So I was a lender when I still moved to downtown uh, for about six to eight months. The first six to eight months, I was a lender. But as I'm in this new environment, uh, the network that I'm starting to uh, establish and gain, they're, you know, they're purchasing homes. At that time, you couldn't do a loan that was over 625000 as a lender. That was the conventional or conforming limit at the time. And a lot of the people I'm meeting out here are buying million dollars, million and a half dollar homes, uh, things of that nature. And then at the same time, I felt like the lending side was very internal. You were in the office a lot more. You were dealing with a lot more paperwork and on the phone, whereas the real estate side... I mean, hey, we get to go see really cool homes. We're dealing with people face to face all the time. It's more external. And if you're extroverted, you know, which I think I am to an extent, and you want to be out, you don't want to be in an office. So it was one of those decisions that was hard because I was doing very well at the lending on the lending side of things. Um, but the way I looked at it was it's taking one step back, taking a risk potentially to potentially take three or four steps forward. So just like I moved to downtown, I believed in myself in doing that. So I believed in myself doing this and I did it. Can you give a quick explanation to either a newer agent or someone who is a first time home buyer or someone who is just listening and they're like, they use the excuse. I like to look at it as, as excuses or not, maybe not excuses specifically, but just reasons to not take that next step towards at least reaching out to a lender to actually find out that they have most of the time have more spending power than what they assume that they they have and can you just sort of like break down like either the type of loans or the things that are available for people that may want to buy and we'll use now as the time if they're going to buy as opposed to two years ago or three years ago or four years ago but just using like the time now like what are the steps that somebody can take or the different loans that somebody can take or even like how much if they were to take that next step Sure. I think it's interesting because I have a different perspective being a lender now, you know, that I was a lender and now I'm a real estate agent. I think a lot of people go to the real estate agent first and that's kind of backwards. The first thing you need to do is actually go to a lender to find out what are you qualified for? Am I window shopping here? Can I even purchase a house? What are my options? And then you go to the real estate agent and say, find me the house. So a good real estate agent will say, hey, listen, you need to get pre-approved first. You need to go to a lender and see what your options are. And I think there's a lot of fear with the lending side. People are like, I don't want to go. They're going to tell me I'm not qualified. They're going to run my credit. It's almost like rocket science, but it's not as scary and difficult as people think it is. I think we make that up in our heads. So, you know, there's a 
for example, misconceived notion that you need 20% down to buy a house. You could buy a house with 3.5% down as long as you qualify based on income. You know, There's programs like FHA. There's programs like conventional where you could do 5% down. I think they said the average down payment, I was uh, looking at this last week, for a home is right around 9% down. If you mm. average all the mortgages, like what people put down, it's 9%. So I think people think, wow, oh, I need a big chunk of money. I need 20, 30, 40% to buy a house. No, you don't. You know, uh, I think on the self-employed side, I've seen a lot of misconceived notions that you have to be working for five years and have your own business for you to qualify. No, you don't. You could technically be in business one year. If there's sufficient income that shows there, there's a lot of lenders that could do one-year programs for you as a self-employed individual. And I do a lot of those individuals. So I, I hear it both on, you know, from my end and I see that the shock on their face that they're like, wow, I could actually qualify for a home. I'm self-employed. I just started my business a year ago and it is possible, you know, but again, I'm, Lending has changed a lot since I've been a lender. It continues to rapidly change. I try to make sure I'm abreast of what's going on. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of creative financing, creative programs out there that, look, they want you to buy a home. They want you to be able to. But they're going to make sure that it's they're not at risk so that, you know, what happened in 2007, 2008 doesn't happen again. So I think the options are there. You need to just uh, take that step. What do you what do you have to lose to go to the lender and say, hey, what am I approved? What am I approved for? And even more importantly, I have clients that are not approved now, but this is what you need to do to be approved next year. So take these steps or don't take these steps in order to be approved. What are some of those steps? <sighs> well, it depends on your situation. I think with lending, everybody is different. So if it's self-employed, you have a little bit more uh, control over that. So it's like, a lot of self-employed individuals have a lot of expenses on their tax returns. Uh, maybe it's not showing or not writing off as much because you need to show a little more net income. Uh, it could be you have to pay off credit card debt, and that goes for both self-employed and non-self-employed individuals because that goes based on the debt-to-income ratio. So if that ratio is high and you have a whole lot of credit card debt, auto loans, student loans, things like that, sometimes you can't change the ability to make more income if you're especially, you know, working for a company, you can't say, look, I want an extra 50,000 this year so I qualify. Company's gonna say, kick rocks, you know? But what you can control is the debt aspect of things. So that's basically, look, pay off some of the debt you have, and that'll also in turn boost your credit score so that you could potentially qualify for what it is you're looking to qualify for. At the same time, not everything's possible. If you wanna qualify for a $10 million house and you're making $50,000 a year, sorry, but I'm not a magician, nobody is. <laughs> but from a realtor now from a realtor side with the experience of a lender because you're very strong you're very strong in that area in that aspect and a lot of realtors they know unless they're experienced realtors this is my perception is that they know like that a little bit of it you know they right. do like a little bit of reading of uh, on it they do a little bit here a little bit there they have a couple apps that are really good you could just stay right on top of whatever the <laughs> fixed income is 15% at at a 15 year or a 30 year but now coming from a realtor and somebody coming to you before even getting to the lender now what's the what's your strategy with that with that Good question, actually. It's uh, it's funny because the lenders I work with are like, well, thank God, because you already pre-qualify them before you really even send them my way. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, a lot of real estate you know, agents, I mean, it's not their job to necessarily know it thoroughly. I think you should know the basics and kind of know, look, if this person's telling you they're not working and they don't have a job, they're probably not qualified, you know? But um, for me, it's I ask them certain questions, then I know that these are the questions that as a lender, I would ask a potential applicant and this would kind of start qualifying them. Are they even qualified? Could they be qualified? 
If not, what do they need to do to get qualified? So I'll ask certain questions and I'll know based on those responses, if they're ready now, if they're strong, uh, what they're qualified for uh, to an extent. I mean, obviously you need to run credit to figure that out, but I'll, I would say 75% of the way pre-qualify them. And then I'll know also which lender to send them to. Some of the lenders are a lot more proficient in self-employed individuals. Some of them are like the bread and butter W2. This person has been working in a tech company five years, clean credit. I'll know who to send them to, but everybody loves those, those applicants. But yeah, I, I basically pre-qualify them before I send them over. What are some of those questions you ask? Okay. Obviously, are you working? If so, how long you have you been? Can we ask that straight out? Yeah. Well, I'm saying, okay, look, what do you, I don't ask it like that. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. There's a right and wrong way to ask a question, right? Uh, no. So I asked them, what do you do for work and how long have you been doing that? That's a, that's the first thing. If you just started a job a month ago, you know, you typically need to show employment history unless you're out of med school or something like that, where you could show the reason I haven't been working is I've been, you know, working on my degree and now I got a salary. I got an employment contract, you know, for a company and they're going to pay me this much per year. Then you could count that income. But if it's somebody that, you know, you just started working at, let's just say, I don't know, a mall kiosk or a cell phone store and you've only been working three or four months, that's not going to count. You need to show at least two year history for that to work. So it's just painting a picture and getting an idea of, did this individual just start working? Have they been working? Are they in the same job? Are they in the same field? Because those are important things to ask and to know because lenders will look at that. You know, if you switch industries, for example, let's say you were in aerospace and all of a sudden you switch to uh, tech. I mean, look, that's kind of, you could paint the picture that's the same industry, but lenders will look at that. You can't just do a complete 180 and say, look, I've only been in this industry for a month now, qualify me. Oh, really? Yeah. Even if the income hasn't changed or if the income has, has it can now. Yeah. But when I was money. like, when I was a lender, like you, you know, they wanted to see it was more so not the job that you're in right now, but the industry, like how long have you been working? You know, you could switch jobs. Let's say you were at Apple for five years and you left Apple and now for three months you've been working at Google. That's fine. You know, it's the same field. Let's say you were working in accounting in one department and you're accounting in the other. It's the same type of field. So you can't hit somebody for just changing their job. You know, but if it's completely changing the field and it's not a salary job and it's something that's more, um, let's say hourly. Yeah. They want to see a history of you working in that field and making that money before they actually consider that as qualifying income. What is the time frame that you would say that somebody should hold on to a pre-approved letter? I mean, it depends in, of the, in the market. I think right now things are rapidly changing with interest rates. So for example, you know, if you got a qualification six months ago and the interest rate was 5% and now we're at 7%, it definitely impacts your qualifying amount. You know, it definitely impacts your payment, uh, impacts a lot. So I think in a rapidly changing interest rate environment, you need to check it every 30 days. Or at least call your lender and say, look, I know rates went up. Nothing's changed with my employment. Nothing's changed with my debt. But, you know, the rate's now not 5%, it's 7%. So the house I was qualifying for was a million dollars. How much do I qualify for now? That could be 900, you know, so it's important. I find you to be a little bit of a triple threat. And this is the reason why. <laughs> One, you're a homeowner. Two, you've come from a lending side. So you understand the savings. If somebody comes to you and you're like, this is how much I make. I want to get my family or myself or my partner into a home. And you're a realtor. You, you. I mean, like, I may have to change. Oh, isn't it a triple threat, too? I may have to I, actually. I don't look at myself as a threat, but. <laughs> well, in a positive way. I, you know. Yeah. 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm coming from a place of just executing your business in such a way that's powerful. Like, you, you, 
I think that's such a great strategy. And one of the things that I, I love that you do, and I'm going to say, you are so precise in all the work that you do. You've created this downtown LA insider, guys, this downtown LA, LA insider. <laughs> I don't even eat half the food that's on there, but I'm sold on every single one of the food that's on there. And I, I love how you have created in the digital space, this just, you sell yourself as a creator. Now you have four things as a creator, as a realtor, and you execute that in your business. Can you now speak from the creative side, how you apply that to your business? Yeah, that's a, there's a lot to that. Um, so yeah, I think that comes down to marketing and branding. I mean, and what is a brand? A brand is not a logo. I mean, a lot of people think it's a business card. It's what I say I am. A brand is something that people identify you as, right? And that comes down to marketing as well. And I feel like if you have to tell somebody what your brand is, then you probably don't have a brand. And the same thing goes with marketing as well. I mean, my identity, a lot of it, a lot of my business is based on marketing. And it's, you know, if you ask me, what is your, what is your marketing about? What is your, I don't know, it's me. It's genuine, it's authentic. So it's not that I intended to go out and be like, I'm gonna be this creative that, that does this and that I'm gonna make sure people think of me like that. You know, it's not, I mean, with Detail Insider, when I moved to downtown, it was, you know, there was two reasons. One was to show my love for the community, which I absolutely fell in love with it. And if somebody like me who hated it could fall that in love with it, um, there's a possibility that other people can too. And I think a lot of people have this misconceived notion of downtown, which I did. So I was like, look, let me create this brand. Let me show people what that's about. It also shows off me as a personality and who I am genuinely. And it also allowed me to network within the community. And, you know, contacts turn into contracts is the way I like to say it. And cool. it's true, but it has to be, I'm not a slam dunk person. I'm not a, I'm a cold call you and hard sell you. I believe in relationships and genuine relationships lead to potentially lead to business, but you can't, you can't go in it thinking like, I'm going to create this relationship or this brand so that I can make money. You know, like that can't be the end result. It indirectly happens because of that. So when it came to the creative side of things, I was not, I hate being on camera. I was not, I'd never considered myself creative. I just kind of started dabbling into content and content creation. And I fell in love with it. I felt like it was a very effective way to not only market, but to have fun with whatever it is that you're doing and get yourself out there to people. So, you know, with Detail Insider, now that's led to a lot of business, led to a lot of relationship. It wasn't what I intended to do with it, you know, but it has led to that. And that fed into the real estate side where it's all content. You see what I do. It's just content, content, Yeah, but content. I, I like it because you have a strategy and, and I was, I like that. I was talking to someone yesterday and we were just talking about selling at open houses mm -hmm. and this gentleman and I, and, and he said, you know, Jessica, tell a story. When you're asking someone questions at an open house, tell a story in get them almost turn them on to their vision get them so tuned into their story as opposed to what is your criteria three bedrooms three bath get them in yep sit in the living room and what are you looking at and and i'm getting chills right now just because it's a story and i love that and and when he said that to me that's easy for me that's so easy for me because what you're doing and what exactly that is telling that story you do that. And can you just speak a little bit more on, I mean, the work that you do now is, is so pretty. 
Thank you. It's so pretty. It's so clean. It's so pretty. And when it comes to branding, and I'm such a big fan of this, it's like, is it clean? Is it attractive? And does it have a lot of clarity? Those three things, and I'm in. Like those are the most important things when it comes to creating creating content of any kind, whether it be a picture in the digital form or in the physical form. How clean does it look? Is there clarity and is it attractive? And that's what you're doing. Can you just speak a little bit on that yeah. and, and why you do that and why it can also help someone's business? Absolutely, I appreciate that. And I hope my content creators heard that. <laughs> and that's why when I tell you it's one space too far this way or there's a, a certain white hue that I don't like on there and I tell you to change it and you tell me it doesn't matter, it matters. Nice shop, guys. You see that? <laughs> like, why the hell? Like, what do you mean change the font? Like one little thing. There's no dot it. at the end of that. There's this, I get it. Uh, and look, at the mercy of, or at the sake of, you don't want to focus on that too much where you don't get anything out, but it's your brand. That's your image out there. So, you know, I, I am a little bit, uh, people, you know, they say that you're anal about it and I am. You know, no, it's just, I'm all about it. Yeah. I think it's perfect. Look, that's what, look, you just mentioned it. So somebody remembers me by that. You know, some people don't look at it and say that that's not important. Just pump off the content and do what you have to do. But I'd rather not get it out if it's not a accurate or a good representation of me or my business or my brand. So uh, to your point, when you said about storytelling, I think marketing content, all of that is about emotions. It's about feelings. It's you're not selling or leasing a house or an apartment. You're selling a lifestyle. You're selling uh, a feeling, a vision of their future. Like, what are they going to feel like living there? You know, and so it's that story tailoring a story and putting them in that environment and making them visualize it and see that is it does much more than you could ever do by telling them like, oh yeah, it's three bedrooms, it's two bath. Oh yeah, I could see your kid's house here, you know, or your kid's living here and growing up and this, that. Now, creating content around that, sure. I mean, even a good stager, I was talking to one a couple of weeks ago where I was like, there's three bedrooms in the house. Who is the potential purchaser and user of this house? A family with a kid or, you know, a growing family. And so one of the rooms is obviously tailored to a child. You know, there was a baby crib in there. So did we tell them that this is perfect for you know, a family and with a baby? No, but that's almost like the same thing visually showing them that. And it's the same thing I do with my content. You know, it's giving them that feeling of this is what it would feel like living here. This is what it feels like being in this environment. And this is what you could potentially feel like too. So, Which came first, the content or the community? Because you have both of them. You've done both of them. I mean, I'm a part of your community and you're creating now a community in the real estate world. Good Media, question. I'm going to applaud you for this. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's appreciate awesome. It. I don't think that way, but I yeah, appreciate no, that. I, well, I, I'm a person who's also, I'm a consumer, I'm a creator, and I also am one of those people. And I spoke about this in my episode with Matt. It's like, I am such a person of, I observe from so many different angles and I just see it as how can I apply it to my business or that's really cool what they do. I just like to observe. So I, I would definitely say you do that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Now what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got to really back you in. Um, no, you built the community. You oh, built the community first, the and you, yeah. Which one came first? The, the content or the, the content, community? I would say the content. Oh, okay. Yeah, the content created a whole different and new community that I never would have had if it wasn't for that content. Um, you know, when it comes to content and brand, people gravitate towards what's authentic and what your brand is. And some people don't, and those are not your people, but there was a new community that, that came about because of that content. And it continues to grow that way, whether it's with real estate, whether it's with downtown LA or anything else. So 
I think it was, uh, yeah, which came first, the chicken or the egg? It was uh, the content. But that's cool. It is cool. It's kind of like focusing on yourself and seeing what works for you, seeing what works for you, and then growing stronger and, and being like, this really works. And then you slowly get like three people here, 10 people here, yep. five people here, 50 people here. And I think that that's so important that you've worked so hard on that. But I want to ask you this because you started to bring it up and I was like, oh, this is such a great story. <laughs> and I want you to tell us, I want you to tell a story about it. Okay. You have one of, one of the buildings that you represent is Thea. Yes. The penthouse. Yes. Penthouses. <laughs> and that was two years ago that they built them. The Thea has been around for two years. The penthouse was just launched about five months ago. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. How did you get in? How did you get that job? How did you get in that so, connection? Oof. Okay. This might be a long story. <laughs> We're here. Okay. So moving into downtown and living in a building, um, and all these buildings are typically managed by one management company. Uh, it's, it's called Graystar, and they manage a majority of the lease communities and purchase communities all over the country. So I uh, created a relationship with a lot of the people that work in leasing down there and just the staff. And from that, um, started doing a lot of DTLA Insider content, which is anything and everything to do with downtown. So I wasn't in real estate at that time when I first moved to downtown. So I you know, my the whole objective of DTL Insider is to show everything about downtown. So I would go, that includes real estate. So I would go to these buildings and say, hey, can you let me showcase the penthouses or showcase the rooftop and show my audience, which is downtown based, what this is all about? They said, sure, why not? It's not like he was trying to sell us or anything. And I really wasn't. It was just for that DTLA Insider page. And from that, then I switched over to the real estate side and I started kind of planting the seed like, who's representing the penthouses in our building? I know there's a lot of them that have been vacant for a long time. Do we have a broker that represents them? And that wasn't a, you know, overnight yes type of thing. That took about eight months to kind of create the relationship with the staff, create that trust. Then they saw him with the agency and they said, you know what, we'll give this guy a shot. So the building I live in was the first one that I started representing the penthouses. And then COVID hits a month and a half later. But even though that happened, nobody had lived in some of these penthouses. We leased them all even during the first two months of COVID when everybody was leaving downtown. So it was a su success. From there, um, Thea's in the same management company that manages it, different owners. And I said, hey, can you guys introduce me to ownership over there? Let me have the conversation and see if they'll allow me to represent the building. And I had also done content for them. We had put it on Detail Insider. So I had that relationship with them. And they're like, okay, now it's a different relationship. You're asking for a real estate uh, representation side of things, but we've seen what you've done there. We know who you are. Uh, let's do it. And so they gave me the green light. And then from there, I mean, now we have six buildings that I'm representing. That's amazing. And a lot of that's, that's Detail amazing. Insider and just relationships. I, I love that. And then I, w I will say, because people tell me this all the time, it's like you put a little seed and you, you just put the seed in the dirt, water it, whether you water it a week later or however many days that it's, it's needed, but you nurture it, just leave it mm -hmm. and, and watch it grow. And that's literally what your story told it because it's, it wasn't like I'm going to cold call the fuck out of this Thea building <laughs> and keep calling, you know, John Smith, keep calling him, keep calling him. And, and then all of a sudden you've seen so-and-so come in, you sort of just like, you know, it's like, you showed a little attention. You then did what you had to do. You maintained the relationship. What do you find to be one of some of the most important things when it comes to either maintaining relationships or building relationships with the people that you're working with? What do you find those to be? Being genuine, being there, 
Um, you know, look, everybody knows if you're there for the wrong reason. So to your point, I mean, I had known people at Thea for three years and it happened as a genuine relationship of, I want to do something for you. I want to create content for you guys. I wasn't going after anything real estate related at that time. And then fast forward two or three years later when I'm on the real estate side, then I went and I asked of something, but they saw that, look, he's already provided for us. He's there. Anything that we need, if we ask him for content or if we ask him for anything, he's there. And that's genuine. You know, I didn't call and say, look, you're not going to give me what I want. Bye. That doesn't work with any relationship. You know? So the maintenance aspect of it is just like any, even, even a human relationship. You can't just be like, look, okay, now we're married. Cool. That's it. Bye. A human relationship. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> they have robots building. They yeah. do. Well, now they do. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> but I love that. Wait, so I, I want to just tap on that for a little bit because I've met your wife and she is amazing. I was like, I'm going to have her come on just to sing. Just, <laughs> I'm just going to have her sing. How do you, one, well, make time. You know, would you guys have such a busy busy life but i i think some what i just want you to just piggyback off of what you were saying was like even tying it into your human relationships (laughs) your partnerships whether your friendships or your your significant other what are some of those things that because business gets in the way sometimes of our emotions and we come home sometimes or we're on the phone with our significant other we want to find a reason to be reactive to somebody we're so close with. It's easy because we're yeah. we have a different type of relationship. We can't do that to clients. We have to always be, for me personally, always be on point. But I know that you know, being in an intimate relationship, you have that different connection. How do you maintain being in that that I don't know that genuine? kind loving space that i also see when you guys are even together it's doing things with intent with meaning being present you know you have to it's not something that i would say i have you know subconsciously that i'm just like okay i'm gonna be i'm gonna be there it's something that i have to tell myself look this is something that's very and somebody that's very important to me in my life it's just like anything else if you have an important job important client She's very important to me. I know without her, I wouldn't be where I am today. So yeah, I could work 24 seven. There's times where she has to be like, like last night I was like, she's like, you've literally been working from 4 a.m. to it's 9 p.m. now. Whatever we you guys had minutes. for dinner last night, it looks amazing. Oh yeah, she had to, she ordered some uh, Persian food from this place called uh, Teronro in Koreatown. Absolutely nuts. But I would have forgotten to eat if she didn't order that. I was like locked up doing my thing. But I think what that is, you know, when I used to have free time, which is rare, and I'm like, okay, I just want to relax and do nothing. Now, if I have any free time, I have to make sure that I'm dedicating it to what's important. Because just like we said with main, uh, relationships and maintaining them, it takes maintenance. It takes being there. It takes being genuine and being, you know, having that connection with that person. If not, that's just going to go, you know. So it's, uh, it's, it's doing things with intent. It's uh, with meaning. And so I know that that's important to me, so I do that. I think that because you have so much passion in the things that you're creating, that passion spills over into every other area of your life. And it's very unintentional. It's just a natural thing, the natural quality that you have. 
And I think people close to you will also see that as well. It's just a genuine consistency, whatever it is that you're doing in your business, that it's like your intention is also your your action. It's like, I already know that I have to wake up and meditate. And by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you okay. to take that time <laughs> during your day to meditate. It's normal for me. I know that I have to do it. I gotta, you know, I just, and I think that's so awesome. It's awesome that you have that. I want to leave our listeners with something that can really help them. Okay. I want you to give, whether it's a person who is looking for a house now, presently, or in a couple of years, I want you to give some suggestions how one, someone can save money, two, someone can invest money, and three, how someone can invest in themselves in any type of way. I mean, I think number three is the most important one. It's uh, believing in yourself. It's taking that next step. I've done that multiple times in life, and I know that I can do it now. So I think investing in yourself, investing in your knowledge is going to pay you off more than anything you can in terms of monetary or otherwise. But um, how can somebody save up for a house? I mean, save money. What am I? $20 a week, $100 Look, a week. you can. If you tell yourself you can't, it's just like anything else, you can. And you're, you know, I think people look at it, you're looking at somebody that's already there, just like anything else, right? They didn't get there. It took small little steps daily. Small, sometimes unrecognizable little steps that eventually got you to that point. So whether it's for somebody saving $100 a day or for somebody saving $1 a day, it's just take those baby steps. Take tiny little steps towards whatever that goal is and have a goal. And you'll, you'll make it. And what about investing money? I think that's, uh, that's a long conversation. I think investing money, you need to have that money first to be able to invest it. So I think that comes secondary uh, to you saving up for something like a house. Um, we could touch, about, touch on that on another topic. Yeah, no, but you're such a ball of information. I, le I like to ask all my guests three questions before they leave. One, what is a non-negotiable in your morning routine? No phone for the first 30 minutes. I like that. Yeah. My phone's on do not disturb yeah, mine's and airplane room. mode. It's a completely other room because <laughs> I could hear that thing vibrating if it was in that corner. I'm telling you, or I think it's vibrating, but it's not. <laughs> I'm surprised I heard the earthquake. Usually I'm out. I was, I woke up and I don't think it was because of the earthquake. <laughs> can you leave the listeners one piece of suggestion or advice that they can apply to their daily life, their business and or their relationship? Just do it. What are, you, what are you worried about? I think we're too worried about what everybody else thinks, and that's uh, why I never did content in the first place. Put yourself out there. Put it out there, and you know, your, your vibe will attract your tribe. Yeah, that's so true. And what are three qualities, th what are three qualities any of your peers would say about you? Hopefully good things. And what would those things be? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get too uh, self-gratuitous here. but uh, Believe so much into yourself. I would say that... You're genuine. Yeah, I want to hear it from you. Let's you're, you're genuine. Okay. Um, I think that you have a way of seeing a vision about something and just executing it. It's like it's almost like you're fearless, but you move past an internal self-doubt. And you have a lot of confidence around that. So those are my three. I like those. But I will say this. Everybody has self-doubt. You know, it's uh, just getting over that. Just taking that step and You're such it. a cool person. Uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> My wife thinks so too. You're so such a cool good. person. I think that's awesome. Media, where can everyone find you? Plug yourself. You can find me uh, at M Musavi on Instagram, or you could find me at DTLA Insider. 
Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank Guys, you thank me. you so much for being here. And you can follow me at Jessica J. Fury. You can follow the real estate page at Jessica Fury Real Estate. And you can follow the podcast at Dumb Girl Podcast. I'll